Hello, and thank you for joining us for Fairies and Dragons, Ponies and Knights, Season 2, Episode 6, Mermaids. If this is your first time listening to Fairies and Dragons, Ponies and Knights, you might want to go back and start at Season 1, Episode 1, The Egg, to get the full story. My name is Marin Langdon Spillane, and today we are thrilled to welcome back special guest artist Daniel Pertiera. You should definitely make sure to check the show notes for links to Daniel's final illustration, his coloring page, and other links to his artwork. One thing that I love about stories that you listen to is that everyone imagines the story a little bit differently. I know how it looks in my head, but I love to see how other people imagine things. So I encourage all of you listeners to grab your favorite supplies and draw, sculpt, paint, or create anything that you are inspired to while listening. Then you can share your creation with us during one of our live shows, post on our Facebook page, or email it to us at PetraTheDragon at gmail.com. And now let us begin Season 2, Episode 6 of Fairies and Dragons, Ponies and Knights. Mermaids. Previously on Fad Pack, Beatrice, a dragon, her five draglings, and Tom and Talora, two humans from the city of Durga, set off on a quest to find Beatrice's stolen egg. After a long and perilous journey, the dragons learn that the egg might be held on an island fortress by the Guild of the Bone-Eyed Spider, a society of creatures that believe the egg may factor in either the salvation or the destruction of the world. Led by the fairy Carnelian, Beatrice, Tom, and three of her children attempt to approach the island fortress and are attacked by a horde of Waladons, sea dragons who are guarding the island. During the battle, Tom is knocked off of Beatrice's back and is now alone and adrift at sea. Tom began to slide off of Beatrice. He scrambled to get a better grip, but then received a full blast of water from one of the Waladons. His hand slipped, and he could feel himself coming away from Beatrice's back. For a brief moment, he was in the air, but instead of falling, he realized he was dangling from the straps of his pack. He looked over his shoulder and saw that Smudge had caught him, hooking his talons around one of Tom's shoulder straps. But Beatrice was still moving wildly, and the Waladons were crowding around. Smudge wouldn't be able to hold onto Tom, and then they would all fall, and poor Furball was still in the pack. Before he could think too much about it, Tom raised his arms up into the air, allowing the straps to slip off of him, and he fell, hitting the surface of the ocean far below with a splash. Oddly, he wasn't as afraid as he expected. He felt a measure of relief to be away from the clamor of battle, and anyway, he was a good swimmer. He had spent many summers of his life swimming in Lake Hero back home in Durga, and the fall reminded him of jumping from the huge rocks along the lake and into the cool blue-green depths below. When he popped back up and cleared his vision, he looked up at the battle above him, treading water. It was hard to tell from below what was happening. It was just a blur of thrashing bodies and streams of water and fire. He needed to get out from underneath the action. He didn't like the thought of one of these Waladons falling out of the sky and joining him in the water. He swam quickly, relieved that none of the Waladons seemed to notice him as he put distance between himself and the chaos. After a few moments, he paused and looked behind him. He could see Edwin, Lyle, and Smudge flying back toward the shore. He noted with relief that his pack was dangling from one of Lyle's talons. But Beatrice stayed behind, unleashing her fury on the pack of Waladons. Even stranded as he was in the middle of the ocean with nothing to help him stay afloat, Tom couldn't help but watch Beatrice in awe. She was truly a sight to behold. 
Despite her vicious attacks, Tom could tell she wasn't trying to kill the other creatures. She just wanted them to leave her alone. Tom could feel his muscles begin to tire, so he floated on his back to rest, trying to gather his thoughts. He was a long way from shore, about a mile and a half, he guessed. He would just have to swim slowly and hope that the whaleodons, or any sea creature for that matter, didn't decide he looked like a tasty snack. Suddenly, there was a loud whooshing sound and a flash of bright light. He popped upright to look and saw whole groups of whaleodons diving back into the water, and Beatrice flying back toward shore. What had she just done? He was a little sad he'd missed it. In any case, the nearest whaleodons were too far to catch up to her now, and they all seemed to be returning to the water. For a moment, he felt a sense of relief. The dragons had escaped safely, but it was quickly followed by a surge of panic. He was all alone in the water with these creatures. Please don't find me, please don't find me, he thought. He turned onto his front and began to swim in earnest for the shore, stealing himself for a long stretch of exertion. He knew that he shouldn't push too hard or he might tire. When he popped up to check his progress, he seemed no closer to shore than he was before. Confused, Tom started swimming again, this time as hard as he could. He paused to glance toward the shore. No closer. Oh, rusty horseshoes, he thought. This would be hard. But as he squinted toward the beach, he could see Beatrice taking flight again. Relief washed over him. She was coming for him. He tried to swim closer to her, calling out as he did so. Beatrice! I'm here! I'm here! Over here, Beatrice! He knew, even as he yelled, that she wouldn't be able to hear him. The wind and water were too loud, and she was too far away. He watched helplessly as she searched, swooping low over the waves. But why was she so far away? She was looking for him in the wrong place. He tried calling again and waving his arms, even though he knew it was hopeless. He looked at the shore again carefully, and then a terrifying thought coursed through his body. To confirm it, he whipped around and found the island stronghold on the horizon. It was bigger now than it had been even before they were attacked by the Whaleodons. Oh no, oh no, 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 he gasped out loud. He looked back at the shore, which seemed further away now than it had even moments ago. Thunder and lightning, Tom yelled. He was in a riptide a current that would sweep him all the way out to sea no matter how hard he swam against it. He watched as a few whaleodons leapt out of the water between him and Beatrice, and as Beatrice turned and began to fly back to shore again, Tom felt panic seep in, in earnest this time. He knew he couldn't let himself panic or he would drown. Dolora had told him to take slow, deep breaths to calm himself when he felt anxious, so he tried it, floating on his back and breathing deeply while looking up at the sky. Just float, he thought. Beatrice will find you. She'll find you. But as he thought this, he started to consider all of the things that lived in the ocean and were swimming beneath him, all of the possibilities in the fathomless depths. The whaleodons, of course, an image of their curved, sharp teeth flashed through his mind, or whales that could swallow him whole. Sharks? Or jellyfish? Or angry dolphins? Or... Suddenly, he felt something swipe across his back. Ah! Tom screamed and began thrashing. He twisted and turned in the water, gasping, but couldn't see anything. Had he imagined it? As he treaded water frantically, he felt a tap on his shoulder. He turned around and found himself face to face with a... With a... (coughs) Tom yelled again, more from surprise than fright. Then, as his awareness adjusted, he fell dumbstruck. Tom had seen pictures and books and had heard stories, but nothing had prepared him for actually meeting one in the flesh. Oh, my sun and stars, are you a... 
are you a, a mermaid? <laughs> the creature dipped back under the water and swam in circles around Tom, touching and inspecting him all over. It grabbed at his hair and clothes and stared intently at his face. It pulled his fingers apart and twittered in delight, looking closely at the spaces between them. Its own fingers were longer than Tom's and webbed in between with a thin skin. As it examined Tom carefully, he did the same with it. The mermaid had a long, smooth torso that wasn't distinctly male or female. Its thick green hair spread across its shoulder like a cape and looked slightly slimy, like seaweed. Its entire body was covered in translucent, shimmery scales rather than skin, including its face. The mermaid gazed at Tom and smiled. Tom, utterly speechless, found himself smiling back. The mermaid's eyes were a pale blue, and its face was extremely human-looking, which Tom found disconcerting and comforting all at once. Um, sorry that I yelled, said Tom. The mermaid swam to him, getting very close to his face and looking deep into his eyes. Tom could feel the coolness radiating from its skin, and could smell a faint, fishy, salty smell, like the ocean. He tried not to pull away, as the mermaid gazed deep into his eyes, and then... Tom jumped, and the mermaid grinned at him. He didn't speak mermaid, and he knew that they didn't speak human, so he would have to try to communicate in other ways. But how? As he was puzzling this out, the mermaid suddenly dove back beneath the water, and an instant later had grabbed his ankle and yanked him beneath the surface of the ocean. Tom just had time to take a breath before he went under, and as the mermaid pulled him deeper and deeper, he began to panic again. He tried to kick his free leg, but the mermaid's hand was extremely strong. Was it trying to drown him, or did it just assume he could breathe water? Oh, stars, what did mermaids eat? As his lungs began to burn, Tom thought that this might be it. Was this how he was going to die? Drowned by a mermaid? Suddenly, the mermaid let go and whirled around to face Tom, and he thought he saw a flicker of concern pass over its face as it looked at him. Despite his physical distress, Tom felt a calmness wrap over him as he gazed into the mermaid's eyes. Under the water, they looked more than blue. They glowed, as if lit by some kind of light from within. The mermaid opened its mouth wide and blew a great bubble, about the size of an apple, into its webbed hand. It pulled the bubble from its mouth and offered it to Tom. Tom knew he was about to drown. His ears were ringing and he couldn't think straight, so he took the bubble in his hand, marveling at its thick, rubbery texture. He pressed the bubble inside his mouth. Instead of the seawater rushing in as Tom expected, all he felt was a cool pressure and the urge to swallow the rubbery bubble that filled his mouth. He did, and suddenly, he could breathe. The mermaid had given him air in this magic bubble. He could breathe underwater. Despite having been frozen in a lake by a unicorn, having traveled with fairies in a giant orb underwater, and having ridden a dragon into battle, Tom was having a very hard time wrapping his mind around this new set of circumstances. The mermaid smiled at him, then reached out its slender, greenish arms and wrapped Tom in what felt like a hug. It squeezed him so tightly that he was worried his newfound air would be squished from his lungs. He was shocked by how strong its slim body was. The mermaid released Tom from its embrace and beamed at him. Once again, Tom felt himself smiling back. It patted him on the head with one webbed hand, grabbed him by the arm, and began swimming again, dragging Tom behind. Tom didn't have to work at all. The mermaid's powerful body propelled them both through the water. Tom could see that the scales that covered the mermaid's body were thicker and darker along its tail, and that they slowly became lighter and more translucent as they traveled up the torso and along its chest and arms. 
There was a long ridge of fins along the mermaid's spine, and Tom watched in fascination as the ridge seemed to tilt and adjust as the mermaid swam, helping it steer its body through the water. The mermaid's fin, or tail, was thick and muscular, and the fluke trailed off into a gauzy-looking substance at the tips. He could see long slits along its neck on both sides, opening and clothing rhythmically. Gills, he assumed. The mermaid turned to look at him and smiled again, and blew a stream of bubbles at his face. Tom didn't know what was happening, or where he was being taken, but he knew he liked this mermaid, and that it didn't mean him any harm. His best guess was that they were heading back toward the shore, but he was so turned around that he couldn't be positive. Whatever was about to happen, it was better than drowning or being eaten by a shark, so Tom decided to go with it. As they streaked through the cool greenish-gray waves, Tom strained his eyes to look around him. Occasionally, he could make out the shape of something else swimming, and each time he looked nervously toward the mermaid, but as it never seemed alarmed, Tom didn't worry. Finally, Tom and the mermaid approached what looked like a vast coral reef, teeming with all manner of vibrant, colorful sea creatures. Fish of every color, shape, and size, a family of sea turtles in the distance, scary-looking shark-like creatures drifting below. Tom was amazed by the sudden appearance of so much life. The mermaid led him deeper into the coral reef, and Tom marveled at what he saw all around him. Brightly colored fish swam calmly past, shelled animals scuttled into nooks, and wavy plant-like creatures swayed in the ocean's current. The light was dimmer inside, and it became apparent that they were now swimming through some kind of tunnel with walls of coral all around. More and more tunnels seemed to branch off from the sides, and Tom had the impression of moving through a vast maze. As they passed one tunnel entrance on his right, he glimpsed another mermaid. It looked nearly identical to his mermaid, but it stopped and stared, and Tom registered shock on its face before they swam on. He began to see more and more mermaids in these side tunnels, and he was forcefully reminded of the time Mintini the Unicorn had brought him to the Crystal Caves to meet Carnelian and the other crystal fairies. Hmm... Maybe he wasn't being rescued after all. Tom was getting a little nervous again, despite his wonder and excitement. Suddenly, Tom and the mermaid emerged from the maze of coral and found themselves facing a wall of rock. Tom looked up and could see that this wall rose up out of the water, and looking down, that it descended into the depths beyond what he could see. The mermaid swam along the face of this wall, one hand still gripping Tom as if it feared he would escape, and the other running along the slick surface of the rock. They reached a small opening, and the mermaid released Tom. It looked expectantly at him, and Tom looked back. The mermaid ruffled his hair and then nodded toward the hole, nudging him forward with its tail fin. Was he supposed to go through this hole? He didn't feel like he had much choice except to obey, so nervously Tom angled his body inside and was relieved to see that the hole opened up immediately into a wide tunnel. The mermaid tickled his ankles so he could tell it was right behind him. As they swam, Tom became aware of dim light ahead that was growing brighter, and when they finally reached the end of the tunnel, he burst forth into a brilliantly lit open space underwater, surrounded by a rock wall that extended all around in a gigantic circle. There were mermaids everywhere, swimming in and out of little hollows in rocks that looked like dwellings, lounging across beds of seaweed, surrounded by glowing lights set into the rock walls and along the ocean's floor. Tom looked at the mermaid in awe. He wanted to ask if this was a mermaid city and what he was doing here, but of course, all he could do was smile. 
The mermaid smiled back, and grabbing Tom beneath both his armpits, hefted him up, up, up toward the surface of the water with surprising speed. They broke the surface, and Tom took a gasping breath. He looked around him and realized they were now in some kind of giant open-air cave. He could see the sky far above, but the surrounding rock wall extended high up above the surface of the water. Here, just like below, many mermaids were arrayed along the rocks, bathing in the sunlight that poured down from high above. He looked at the jagged, porous rock wall and wondered if he could climb to the top, and where he might be if he did. Could he find his way back to the dragons? Tom shifted his focus to the mermaids around him, who had noticed him by now, and were reacting with varying degrees of wonder, excitement, or horror. Some of the sunbathers slid off the rocks and swam over to Tom and his mermaid, and several were surfacing from below. They all crowded around him, and Tom began to feel slightly nervous. They seemed friendly, but there were a lot of them. He was amazed to see all of the subtle variations among them. Some mermaids had longer flukes than others. Some had skin that was purple-hued, or orange, or blue. Their faces were different, too, despite the similarities of their scales, luminescent eyes, and gilled necks. They began inspecting him enthusiastically, speaking excitedly, some of them even being so bold as to poke and grab at him. Finally, Tom's mermaid snatched him and clutched him tightly to its chest, glaring at the other mermaids, and Tom started to feel as if he were a special toy that the mermaid was unwilling to share. It pulled him bodily through the water and lifted him onto a rock, what strength these creatures had, before pulling itself up and out of the water to perch next to him. It smiled happily at him, and then looked out at the other mermaids before speaking. To Tom, it sounded as though it was calling for someone, and sure enough, a mermaid across the cove dipped below the water and resurfaced moments later by Tom and his mermaid. It pulled itself out of the water with its slender arms and perched on the other side of Tom, and then the two mermaids began a rapid dialogue in mermaid language, which sounded to Tom an awful lot like humans making dolphin sounds. He observed the new mermaid. It was the same size as his mermaid, but different in coloring. Its hair was almost black in the sunlight, and its scales were tinted a glistening purple. Its face was narrower, and its eyes were larger, but the same glowing shade of blue. Finally, the mermaids concluded their dialogue, and the new mermaid turned to Tom. Hello, person! Hello, my name is Kalima. I am he. I know humans cannot see the he and she of mermaids, so I tell you of my him. Welcome to Marestorm, City of the Mermaids. Tom gaped. The mermaid's speech was halting and strange, but he could understand him perfectly. Um, hi, hello, I'm Tom. Uh, my name is Tom. <laughs> wow, I didn't know mermaids could speak human. Oh, yes, not many mermaids speak human. I am liking of the speakings and liking of the humans. I am working to learn many speakings of creatures. This is Melvina. She is wanting me to speak to you. Oh, great. Ah, uh, thank you. Tom glanced at his mermaid, Malvina, who was watching Kalima patiently. Many of the watching mermaids lingered, seemingly fascinated by Tom, while others returned to their sunbathing. Malvina, thank you for saving me. Thank you for, um, bringing me here. Kalima turned to Malvina and translated. Malvina beamed and patted Tom's head, then turned and seemed to ask Kalima a question. Kalima responded by dramatically pronouncing Tom's name, which Malvina tried to replicate. Tom! said Kalima. Tom? said Melvina. Kalima shook his head. Tom! Tom? said Melvina, hopefully, and Kalima nodded and smiled. Tom! said Melvina with more confidence, then said something to Kalima, who turned to Tom. 
Malvina asks you to speak her name in mermaid speaks like this. Hey parents. Yeah, you. Are you looking for a podcast your kids will really love? Well, we made one just for you and for us. As genuine all-natural kids ourselves, we know what makes a fun and interesting podcast. So we decided to make it ourselves. Every show is packed with interviews, stories, and on-the-ground reporting. We have interviewed everyone from scientists to Grammy award-winning musicians to NFL quarterbacks. Listen to Wild Interest wherever you get your podcasts. Tom nodded and attempted to recreate the sound. <laughs> Melvina looked horrified. The other nearby mermaids erupted in laughter. Oh, no, 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 not right. Not the right way. Like this, Kalima demonstrated again. <laughs> Tom tried again, and this time Melvina's face lit up and she gave him an enthusiastic pat on the head. Very good speaks, Tom. Melvina loves to save the dead things. No, saving things from the dead. Uh, saving things before. For being dead, she is a, I don't know, human word. She is wanting to help things to live more life. Oh, like rescuing. Uh, I'm like that too, exclaimed Tom. I like rescuing things or helping things live more life. Malvina has given rescuing too many pets, but never before a human. Mostly seal pets, shark pets, whale pets, Otter pets are special favorite, but Malvina is most wanting a human pet. She is happy to have new pet Tom and save him from being dead human Tom. Um, pet? Oh, yes, you are her pet. You are so happy now. Um, okay, said Tom, as Malvina pulled Tom onto her lap and squeezed him breathless. Listen, I was wondering if you could help me. My friends are nearby. They're dragons um, and a fairy. <laughs> They're on land, and I have to get to them as soon as possible. They'll be worried about me. We were trying to get to the island out there, but we were attacked by some sea dragons, whaleodons, and that's how I ended up in the ocean. And then Melvina, uh... Tom paused to carefully pronounce Melvina's name in Mermaid. She found me and brought me here, which is amazing. I mean, I've never met mermaids before, and you all are awesome. Just so great. <laughs> this is great. But I have to get back to my friends. Can you help me? Kalima stared, unblinking at Tom for a moment. Hmm. No. So many words, Tom. You speaks very fast. I have not hearing so many human words in one place before. Please repeat. Oh, um, all of it? Yes, please. Okay. Tom took a deep breath and began again, trying to speak more slowly. When he was finished, Kalima nodded and then turned to Malvina to interpret. She tilted Tom back in her arms to look at him, an impressed expression on her face, and he felt like a baby doll about to get a bottle. She says, dragons? Yes, dragons. Um, Tom made the sound Malvina had made, and she smiled. Now he knew two words in mermaid. My friends, they need me. Can, can you help me find them, the dragons? Kalima nodded. I would be happy to, but you will have to convince Malvina. She will not want you to be leaving, and she is very strong. Kalima turned to Malvina and began to speak. Tom felt her hold on him tighten until he could barely draw breath. She began to speak loudly and quickly, and Kalima turned to Tom. She wants you to live with her otters in their undersea bed of... What is word? Cuddles, 
I think. Um, Snuggles. Sleeping over party? I do not know, but maybe if you speak it to her yourself in Mermaid. Here, try these words. Kalima whispered some words into Tom's ear. What does that mean? asked Tom. I try to keep simple. Means dragons, friends, please, must go. And it will help if you look at her with big asking eyes, like baby sea otter pup. Um, okay, can you repeat that, please? After a few repetitions, Tom was ready to speak his plea to Melvina. He wriggled out of her arms so that he was facing her, placed his hands on her shoulders, made his eyes as large and pleading as possible, and spoke the words. <coughs> Melvina's eyes filled with tears, and she crushed Tom to her in a hug, speaking rapidly. She says she will not take Dragon Pet away from dragons. She will let you go, but only because she loves you and that she will never forget you, her most favorite pet. Oh, thank you, gasped Tom from within the vice-like grip of Melvina. <coughs> and she asks you to bring dragon pets to meet and be new pets also for her, if okay for dragons. Um, okay, said Tom, briefly imagining Beatrice as Melvina's pet. I think the dragons would love to meet you. Kalima interpreted to Malvina, who nodded and replied, Malvina says she will let you free for love of Tom and dragon friends. Look there. Kalima pointed to a narrow opening in the rock wall where there appeared to be a more gradual incline up the face of the cliff. There is ways to top of cave. You will be needing hands and feats for the upwalking. From top you can be walking with feats only to dragon friends. Tom looked from Kalima to Melvina, who was staring at him with tear-filled eyes. "'Thank you for saving me, Melvina,' said Tom, and then repeated her name in Mermaid. <coughs> "'I'll come back soon with my dragon friends.' Melvina threw her arms around him in a hug which he sensed would go on indefinitely, so after a few moments he pried himself loose and made his way to the narrow opening in the cliff wall. He waved goodbye to Melvina and Kalima, then turned away and clambered up the slick rock to find the dragons.' So, is he alive now? Lyle asked anxiously. He, Edwin, and Smudge were lying in the sand, trying to hold still as Carnelian hovered over them, healing their wounds from the Whaladon battle. Yes, Lyle, replied Carnelian. I will tell you if I observe otherwise. It was nearing nightfall, and despite Carnelian's reassurances, the dragons were becoming increasingly worried about Tom. While Beatrice was out once again in the waning, dusky blue light looking for Tom, Carnelian stayed behind with the draglings. Carnelian, it's like you're babysitting us, said Edwin thoughtfully. Oh, in the name of all the world's muscrovite, what does that mean? asked Carnelian in horror, staring at Smudge, who had rolled onto his back and was beaming at them, drooling copiously. Oh, it's when one human watches the human kids of someone else because human kids can apparently just like die super easy. They're really fragile. Usually they do this babysitting thing for money, but sometimes just because they love them. Talora told us. She said she felt like a babysitter sometimes. Isn't that so funny? Anyway, you love us, right, Carnelian? My dear Edwin, fairies are not slaves to your complex and cumbersome emotional torrents. We are, thankfully, free from these storms that gust like ephemeral demons through your brains and hearts. Oh, okay. But it's possible you just love us in your own way, you know? 
ooh, 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 or, or that you've never loved before us, so you don't recognize it when you feel it. Oh, Lyle, we could be Carnelian's first loves. That is so, so beautiful. Is he alive now? Lyle asked. Yes, Lyle, Tom is alive. Thank you for asking me again. I appreciate it so much. Because... I mean, what are we without love? Like, for example, before I met and fell in love with Moonbeam, the leader of the Rainbow Herd of Ponies, you know? Yes, I am familiar. Right, well, before I fell in love, I'm not sure I really saw Lave clearly, you know? Like, of course I love my family and our mountain, and now I love you and Tom and Delora and Furball and also Amethyst and Citrine and Mintini and Bob and Starfire and Dreamwave and... What, what is it, Smudgy? Lyle interrupted. What do you see? Smudge had leapt up from the sand and was galloping down the beach. Oh, great. Now we're going to have to get Smudge back, which is basically impossible because Smudge does what Smudge wants, you know? Lyle rolled his eyes. Well, as our babysitter, Carnelian, this is really your responsibility, Edwin pointed out. Now is he alive? asked Lyle. Lyle, he is still alive. I will tell you if he dies. I promise. If you ask me again, I will turn you into sand. Aw, jeez, sand. (sighs) Couldn't you turn me into something that moves around at least? Like a crab, maybe? Well, I guess sand does move around if you think about it, like in the wind and with the tide and stuff, and it's actually made up of lots of little pieces, so I don't know, that could be kind of cool, I guess. Do you mean like a bunch of sand or just like one little rock piece of sand? Keep talking and you'll find out, said Carnelian, just as Beatrice swooped low and landed near them, returning from her search. She looked exhausted. There's still no sign of him. I've looked everywhere, along the shore, out to sea for miles. Where could he be? Are you sure he's still with us, Carnelian? Carnelian looked frostily at Beatrice. Don't turn her into sand, Carnelian! She didn't know! Lyle exclaimed, leaping in front of his mother. Yes, 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 our beloved Tom Tom is very much alive. I promise you, I will let you know if anything changes with his life status, all right? Does everyone understand? I will let you know. No need to ask me ever again. Suddenly, Smudge's low, loud growl scream could be heard in the distance. "'Oh, no, what does Smudge have? Who's watching him?' exclaimed Beatrice. "'Relax, Mom, it's just his hunting cry. He probably caught something,' said Lyle. "'Oh, my gosh! Oh, my gosh! Oh, my gosh!' said Edwin, flying into the air in excitement. "'He did catch something! Lyle, he caught a tom!' Everyone looked towards Smudge as his form became visible over a ridge of sand. He was galloping triumphantly along the beach, and on his back, sodden and beaming, rode Tom. Hello again. If you'd like to know what happens next, please join us for Episode 7, The Warrior Tribe, with special guest artist Lydian Blossom. If you have any questions, comments, or artwork you'd like to share, please email PetraTheDragon at gmail.com. Petra handles all of our communication for us, and even though she is extremely busy right now, she promises to get back to you as soon as she's finished saving the world. If you are enjoying Fadpack, there are a few simple and fun ways to support the show. If you can leave a rating or a review on the device that you're listening from, go for it. We would love that. This is a great way to help others find the show, and it really means a lot to us and to Petra. You can also join us on Patreon or buy a ticket to one of our live Zoom shows where you'll be the first to hear the new episodes, share your drawings or thoughts about the show, and chat with other listeners. For tickets to the live show, please visit dirtroadtheater.com fadpack. And now we'd like to share some moments from our live show. Hello, everybody. Hi, Dan. I was curious, Dan, because 
Um, I know that our interpretation of mermaid was maybe different from the more classical or usual rendering of them. And I was curious, first of all, if you have illustrated mermaids before, and if so, how this process was different. I've seen a lot of interpretations of them over the years, ranging from being just people up top and fish in the bottom, or drawing the line further up or down, or more of a whole mix of the two where the fish parts are all over and some human parts are all over. So I knew that going into the podcast, considering uh, how the, how much thought you had put into the fairies last season, that there'd probably be a lot more, a lot of uh, fad pack exclusive details. So I kind of reserved judgments on uh, what I was going to be drawing until it actually happened. Um, Yes. Yes. Well, we appreciate that you know us so well at this point. It was hard for us too. We actually did. We spent a lot of time talking through mermaids, um, particularly mermaids and gender and how that would be different from humans and what their culture might be like and their language. And it was, I think, surprising to us where we landed. It wasn't necessarily what we thought when we began. So I will say I kind of saw the dolphin voice coming. Really? (laughs) That's funny. How is this going to be vocalized? Yeah, Dominic insisted. It wasn't my favorite, but... <laughs> Personally, I thought that the the dolphin language speak was so beautifully executed by Marin, and it made me happy every time I heard the dolphin speak. <laughs> are there any other creatures, are there any creatures that you would like to illustrate that maybe we should try and sneak into Fadpack? And if anyone else has some ideas of creatures they would like to see, that'd be fun to hear too. I'm not sure how feasible it would be, but I would love to see some feathered dinosaurs eventually. What about you, Ryan? Well, I just came up with this animal with one of my friends, and it's half duck, half bunny, half dinosaur. Huh. Okay. Duck, bunny. That sounds like a feathered dinosaur to me. I feel like maybe we could combine the, add a little bunny, a little bunny to that, Gracelyn. I, I'd like to see, like, wow, Oliver, I love that drawing. Um, I'd like to see a giant fuchsia warthog. That's specific. Yeah. Did anyone else want to share some artwork or ask any questions? Um, I Oliver? used to, I put a little angel on the top. I have no idea why I did that. I just thought it was kind of funny. Ooh, it looks like a forest. Um, it's a bunch of mountains and mm-hmm. stuff. Oh, another really tall tree. I'm not done. I like how you've got trees at different levels. So there's some down on the ground. There's some higher up on the mountain. That's really cool. Lucy, did you have your hand up? I made the island where the stronghold is. Oh, that's ah. a fun idea. So Laura. <laughs> Laura. A mermaid. Oh, my. Wow. <laughs> and also a Lego <laughs> of Beatrice. Oh, my goodness. Lucy, you've been very busy. Ryan. So I'm not done with this. I think I'm probably going to put something on the back, but I'm cutting out with an exacto. It's like a whole different part of your brain to kind of take away, almost like sculpture in a way, like you're taking away from instead of adding to. That's really neat. Does anyone have any thoughts or questions about this episode? We've met yet again a new a new species here. The, the Waladons are like a cross between... Sharks, lanternfish, and dragons. And whales, because whales are big. Mm-hmm. Okay. Graceland? Um, I just wanted to say to Dan, I I loved how in the mermaid picture, 
we saw Malvina, Malvina like holding Tom and like being like to all the other mermaids, like, don't touch my toy. And mine, mine. Yeah, mine. I looked up at the picture at the exact scene that that was happening in the podcast. And I was like, oh, my God, that's the exact scene. When I read the script, I kind of knew what scene I was going to be doing. I was so curious to see what you were going to pick. That's so fun. It's a fun moment. Oh, yes. Lily and Willow. Hi. I made this. I'm not finished. Ooh. Impressive. Whale it on. Wow. That's so good. It looks really looks just like it. And I did this while we were listening. Oh, it's a mermaid. Oh, I love that rainbow tail. And I traced the mermaid with painted. That's helpful. Sometimes tracing things can be so useful. Willow, did you have something else to say? That's what I made this. Oh, that's really pretty. That looks underwater to me. What's the same color of the water? The light blue, this light blue, is mm-hmm. the sky. Okay, yeah. It would be really fun sometime to like get a compilation of all different representations of a creature like a mermaid from various artists and just look at all of the different ways that they're represented. It's so neat. Take care. We'll see you soon. Fairies and Dragons, Ponies and Knights is a proud member of Kids Listen, a grassroots organization of advocates for high quality audio content for kids. You can find more great podcasts at kidslisten.org or download the app. Fairies and Dragons, Ponies and Knights is made and recorded by Dirt Road Theatre in Northfield, Vermont. Fad Pack is written and performed by me, Marin Langdon Spillane, and written and created by Dominic, Graceland, and Oliver Spillane. The music you heard was composed by the amazing Nathan Lee. You can see more of his work at nathanlee.net. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you can join us next time.